first love. And so commentators put the loveless title on that. The second church, Smyrna, was the persecuted church. Third was Pergamum, the compromising church. Thyatira was the corrupt church. Sardis was the dead church. Philadelphia was the faithful church. And Laodicea was the lukewarm church. So two of these churches, Jesus, whenever he's uh, talking or talking to John about them, he had uh, nothing really bad to say about them. That was Smyrna and Philadelphia. And then there's two churches where he really didn't have anything good to say. He usually like gave them a compliment, like, hey, you're doing this really well, but you need to change this. But there's two churches he was just like, nah, you're just doing it all wrong. <laughs> and that was uh, Sardis, the fifth one, and Laodicea. And today we will be looking at Laodicea in chapter 3. So I'm going to give you homework. We started with the first one. We're ending with the last one. So this week, uh, take some time and look at the other five churches. See what John wrote to those churches specifically, and let's see how we can be challenged and encouraged. Because some of these are very challenging. They're like, if you take them personally, it'll cause you to change. But there's some of them that are really encouraging too, and I think some qualities that this church has that are in some of these other churches as well. Um, so before we pray, I do want to say, I want to give you an opportunity at the end of this service. If you came in here today and you don't know the Lord personally, if you have not surrendered yourself completely to the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, so I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart and to be open to what the Lord has for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We say thank you. Thank you for another day. Thank you for this opportunity to come into your house, to worship your name, to magnify your name. The name of Jesus, the name above every name. Lord, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. That you laid down your life willingly. Nobody took your life from you. You laid it down willingly for us. And for that, God, we are eternally grateful. Lord, I thank you for this word that you have already given to us. Uh, much like Joshua causing the sun to stand still, Lord, just help us to have the faith to ask. To, to have that faith to be able to ask for big things like that. Not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom of God. We give you praise for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The sermon title today is this. Stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle. Oftentimes in church, when we hear a message, especially a challenging message, we're oftentimes thinking of somebody in the room that that's a good word for. You know what I'm talking about? Like when Pastor Lynn was speaking the other day about forgiveness, you was probably sitting there thinking, man, so-and-so needed that word. You know what I'm saying? Like they needed to be able to forgive in their life. They needed this or that. And we oftentimes, when we, when we hear a word, we're, we're oftentimes thinking of other people. Today, I just want to challenge you to really evaluate yourself. If you're not going to evaluate yourself today, you might as well take a nap. This ain't for you. So this is for me. This is for, I believe, our church and the church. And if you can't take this for yourself, then you'll never change. Um, so, again, this is not going to be a message of condemnation. This is, uh, this is what I believe that the Lord is calling us to, a little bit to, to more action. You know, to last week, realizing the majesty and the, the power and the awesomeness of God. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about being moved uh, to action by it. So... Start you off with a story here. Uh, last summer, we had the, I had the privilege to go to El Salvador uh, on a mission trip with two of our very own TFA youth, uh, Nathan and Abigail. Mission trips are incredible. Uh, you go over there, and you, you don't speak the language. 
It's a different culture. You're not exactly sure what uh, to expect. Uh, all you know is that you're going to be put in some awkward situations where you just need to allow God to move through you, which is incredible, especially for a teenager. And we really saw some powerful moves of God in El Salvador. Um, you just, when, you, when, you don't, when you're not really worried about other things and you can just focus on uh, what God has for, to do through you, uh, you really see God move. And we saw a lot of powerful and crazy things. But one of the things that made the trip the most memorable was the very last day on our day off. Uh, we were kind of at this resort-type area at the beach. Uh, we had just done like eight or nine days of ministry, so we were pretty tired. But we were, we, we were relaxing that last day before we came home. And, of course, one of our students, Nathan, you know, he decides, what else is there to do besides open up a coconut? You know, he's banging it on the ground, banging it up, whatever. And get a straw and like, hey, man, I'm going to sit here in this seat on this beach with this coconut and drink it over here in El Salvador. It'd be cool for Instagram and everything else, right? So he drinks it. Everything's good. Uh, we get to dinner that night, though, and um, all of a sudden, Nathan runs, like, out of the restaurant. <laughs> and um, we're like, man, where'd he go? Like, he was gone for a while. And then finally, like, I went to check on him. He's, like, puking his guts up. I mean, just everywhere. Like, dude. For like the next 24 hours, this man is like sleeping on the toilet, like throwing up all night throughout the entire night. I don't know how he had so much to let go of, but he's just letting it go. And me and him also ate the same thing that night. And about a little after lunch, I started feeling bad. So there's something wrong with the food too. And so I'm sitting there, I'm trying to get in the bathroom. He's in the bathroom, so I gotta go outside. And now I'm throwing up in the bushes and everything else. And, like, we're just, like, trading. Like, he'll go to bed for, like, 30 minutes. I'll go in the bathroom, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'll come to bed. He'll switch that in and out. It was miserable. So there's definitely some things about a mission trip that's, like, you could probably live without. But, again, I would do it all over again to see God move like he did uh, uh, through our students and through myself. But I say all that to say this. I mean, how many, let, me, let me just kind of take a poll here. How many of you don't mind the idea of throwing up? Like, it's, it's not that bad. Like, of course, we don't like it, but it's not the end of the world. Anybody? I'm kind of like that for the most part. Okay, is there anybody that's just like, it's the end of the world. Like, I hate throwing up. Like, it is, it is the worst thing that could happen to me just about. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry I'm talking. Some of y'all is getting queasy in here right now, right? <laughs> I, that is not my intention, but it, it does have to do with this text here. So, we are going to read the Bible because, you know, that's important. And actually... What I want to do today is I'm pretty much going to stay only in Revelation, and we're going to break it down verse by verse if that's okay. Um, I think it's the best way to break down passages like this. So, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Here is Jesus talking to the last church that they revealed to John to write to, and that is the church of Laodicea. He says this, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So there's three, there's three titles here that I want to uh, reference. Amen. Um, here in this particular instance, the word amen is the Hebrew meaning truly. The root idea is firmness, certainty, assurance of faith. And so whenever he's saying the amen, he's talking about is the one who's certain. He's called the faithful and true witness. He always will be true to his word. He is faithful and he will never fail to be faithful. And he's the beginning of the creation of God, the origin, the first cause, and the ruler of all creation. He was not created, okay? 
Don't get those confused. He was not created by God, but he was the creator of all things, right? According to scripture, especially in John 1, 1 through 3. Verse 15 says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would you, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, Laodicea was uh, a little bit of more background here. It was known for a few things. It had an inadequate water supply, and it needed to get water uh, to the city. So a couple ways it did that. One was from Colossae, which was 10 miles south. It would pump these, uh, it had these elaborate uh, aqueducts that would pump water from Colossae to uh, Laodicea. And Colossae was known for their very cold water. And, uh, of course, you know, by the time it got there, it wasn't very cold. But uh, six miles north, there's this place called Heropolis. And Heropolis, they would pump water down. Heropolis was known for their hot springs. Like, it was like being in a hot tub. You know, uh, if you've ever been in a natural hot spring or anything like that, very hot. And you could use uh, water for those types of things. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it's about lukewarm, right? And also, on the way, it picked up a lot of sediments and minerals. And so, uh, when you drank the water that had come from that far and picked up that much stuff, and it was the lukewarm. If you drank too much or had the, had the wrong kind of water there, what did you do? You would puke, right? And that's exactly what it says here in verse 16. He says, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. But that word actually means vomit. He says, I will vomit you out. It's like a more intense word here. In Revelation 3, Jesus is highlighting the fact that they're in Laodicea and that they would understand these terms. Jesus used familiar things to show their spiritual indifference. See, they were not cold enough to realize that they were in need. They were a lukewarm church. They weren't cold enough to, to know that they were in need, so they became indifference to repentance. But they weren't hot enough to respond to the Spirit's moving, so nothing was really being accomplished by God. Jesus said, I wish that you were either hot or cold. Then he could do something with them. But he says, being in a lukewarm state turns his very stomach. And it's, it's the equivalent of wanting to spit him or vomit them out. Uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of going to Montgomery. Uh, my wife... Uh, watch the kids for me while I got to go out to one of my friend's birthday parties. So that was awesome. <laughs> Thankful for her. Uh, but if you don't know this, Alabama has white water rafting. Did you know that? It just opened up about three weeks ago. And it's uh, completely man-made. It's not natural or, or anything like that. They got these big old engines turning the water and making the currents and all that stuff. And uh, it was decent, you know, like if you've never been white water rafting before, it's a pretty good, like, first time going. Um, but we went on this day, had a great time. There was 14 of us, and uh, just, you know, fun, relaxing day. And one of the things they do is they have a restaurant right there at the complex. And so you can just sit there and eat right afterwards. You don't have to go anywhere. You can change there. They got showers, whatever. <laughs> Pretty cool, actually. Uh, very nice, very well built. But um, I will say the service took forever. <laughs> uh, for one of our guys, it took about an hour and a half to get his food. So, uh, But while we were waiting... Um, we're just sitting there talking, chilling, hanging out, having a good time. All of a sudden, to my right, this guy just pukes everywhere. I mean, just, and he runs out, like just bolts out. You just hear the door, boom. And now he's puking outside. 
All right, we're like, what is going on? But the weird thing is, it was nothing but water. Like, it wasn't like chunks of food or anything. It was just water. And so you just got to imagine this guy probably fell out of the boat at some point. A couple of our guys fell out. And you just just like inhaling water, you know, down the, because you, once you get in the current, you got to wait till you're at the end before you stop pretty much. So unless you want to try to hit a rock or something. But it, it reminded me, I'm like, man, this just happened yesterday, but it reminded me of um, just how detrimental it can be, according to the scripture, to be stuck in the middle, to not be hot and to not be cold but to be stuck in the middle. A couple other facts about Laodicea that's important. Laodicea was a banking center. It was a very rich city. The church was probably rich, um, and the town was also uh, known for uh, being a producer of black wool clothes and carpets. And so they, were, they had these nice clothes. They were a rich city. And the last thing is they also had a medical school that was known for treating eye problems. They had this special ISAF powder that they produced and that they could use to help cure ailments. All these things will be um, needed to know as we read this next part here. Revelation chapter uh, 3, verse 17 says this. For you say, he's talking to the church. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the church at Laodicea was at the point that they didn't need God. Why would they need God? They didn't need him. They knew God, but they didn't need him. They had money. They had clothes. They had basically their needs. They had medical attention. All things that we in the United States also have access to, right? There's other parts of the world that don't necessarily have these things. They're not rich. They uh, don't necessarily have all their needs met. They don't have access to or can't afford medical care. But we, I, would, I think it's safe to say in this church, we probably all do. And so that's why I'm saying if, if we're going to look at ourselves in a passage, oftentimes we got to at least put ourselves in the position and say, could this be talking about me? Or could this be talking about us as a church? They had stuff, but they didn't have meaning. The things in this world will never truly satisfy us. That's one thing that they had to to realize, but they were stuck in the middle. They were not hot, and they were not cold. It's kind of what we describe as this. It's the, I have a little bit of Jesus mentality. It's the, I have enough of Jesus that I'm kind of, I feel good about my eternity, but not enough of Jesus to be uh, so sorrowful about the sinful things that I'm doing. It's, I got enough Jesus that, like, I've been baptized, I go to church, like, I, I know the word of God, but not enough to where I'm, like, uh, fervent or passionate about sharing my faith with others. I got a little bit of Jesus, but I'm not hot. How many of you like getting gifts? Okay. How many of you like giving gifts more? I love, uh, so Jamie Kate just turned uh, eight on Friday, and I love giving gifts to my kids and having people give gifts to my kids, because our kids, like with Jamie, Graceland, not Leah yet, she don't understand, but you can give them just about anything, and they will love it. Like, you can give them candy, you can give them a box, you can give them, like, whatever. They can have a, another princess doll, that, or like, y'all know what Squishmallows are, right? Okay, squishmallows, they're basically just 
stuffed animal, uh, but they're a specific type. They have like 30 of them. You give them a squishmallow, they're still like out the roof. They'll be screaming, squealing, jumping up and down. Like they love it, right? But they just love to get gifts. But how many of you have ever given a gift to somebody you thought was going to be a good gift, but you did not get the reaction you thought? Like you thought, man, they are going to love this gift. But then they were like, ah, yeah, that's good. That's all right. That's happened to me. I've, I've also, like, sometimes it's hard for me to hide my emotions. I don't, I'm not emotional very much anyway, but, like, somebody gives me a gift, I'm like, hey, thanks. Sometimes I really mean it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a great gift, but I just don't show it. Um, but that's kind of how the church was. They were just indifferent about life. There was no, like, motivation to be more. They were just stuck in the middle. And uh, I was listening to a guy named Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor at Life Church. And he's got several campuses. He has, he's actually, his church is the developer of the Bible app on your phone. But I want to um, put these up. There's six indicators that he talks about of living with indifference or apathy. And uh, here's the six here. Number one, being more concerned with impressing people than living for God. It's being more concerned about our popularity, the clothes we wear, uh, what others think of us instead of what God thinks. Number two is being obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity in heaven. It's all about what I can get now. And a sobering thought is that one day, we all know this, but we just fail to, to remember it sometimes, is we're going to have to give away everything that we have. Every single possession that we own will be given to somebody one day or be thrown away or trash or whatever. And honestly, 100 years from now, probably nobody's going to remember your name. You know, if the Lord tarries, like, people just won't remember you. The people that remember you now, will, uh, they will be gone as well, 100 years from now. And so when we remember that, it starts to really put into focus what truly matters. Are we obsessed with life here on earth, or are we obsessed with the things of eternity? Uh, another, the third indicator of living with indifference is rationalizing sin. It's living without a truly fearing God. Who are you to judge me? I'm not as bad as everybody else. That's, that's a big mentality with us, ain't it? Like, like I, you know, I'm not a, a great person, but I'm not as bad as, you can start naming off people, right? That's living in indifference. Four, we believe in Jesus, but we rarely share our faith. If we truly believe that he is the light inside of us and he can make all the difference in people, that ought to be something at the forefront of our conversations that we have with people who are unbelievers. Number five, we only turn to God when we need him. It's like he's like a, a, a tool in a toolbox that we try to, to use when we need him instead of somebody to be worshiped and feared. And the last thing, number six, is we're no different than the world. We watch the same movies. We listen to the same music. We attend the same parties. We're really not that much different. If these are in our lives, then these are indicators that we may just be, meh. We may just be coasting through this life, rather than what God has called us to do, and that's to be hot. This type of attitude doesn't just break the heart of God. It turns his stomach. It makes him want to vomit. And that's something that we should really take into to, to consideration when we're thinking about our lives. So, uh, verse 18, are y'all encouraged yet? <laughs> Don't worry. There'll be a little encouragement here. Again, uh, my goal is not to, uh, to condemn 
this morning. My, my goal is to make us aware, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself a lot because I know that uh, for me it's the easiest thing to get into a routine and never stray from that routine, to never kind of get uncomfortable or to get out of the ordinary. But one thing I want to challenge you with is to get uncomfortable and to get out of your shell, and we'll talk about that at the end as well. So Revelation 3.18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Again, he's highlighting all those things that the city's known for here. Gold refined by fire, what's he mean? Gold refined by fire is a uh, symbolic representation of your character being refined by hardships and being refined by living for the Lord, by your character being developed. This gold is not the gold of the world. This is the gold that God, this is the riches of the Lord, you know, which are refined by his fire. The white garments are a representation of righteous deeds of the saints. The eye salve is something that they used physically to heal eye ailments, but here God is asking them to open up their spiritual eyes so they can make a difference. I'm reminded of blind Bartimaeus calling out to the Lord, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus comes up to him and says, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want to see. And because of his faith, he was able to see. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a call to be able to open up our spiritual eyes to be able to see. And the band can come on back. We're going to uh, start to close here. These last few verses. Revelation three nineteen says, Those whom I love... I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. The fact that Jesus was willing to discipline the church showed that he still loved them. Scripture says that we, you know, a father and a mother will discipline the one they love. God disciplines the ones that he loves. The thing that he wants us to do, though, is to repent, to become hot, which means that we need to become zealous or passionate we got to recognize where our true condition is. He says this uh, pretty famous verse here, but I might kind of ruin it for some of us, I guess. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He stands at the door and knock. Now, this is not the door of our heart. Doesn't indicate that. Doesn't say that at all. <laughs> He's not like waiting to be let into our heart. He's not begging to be led into our lives. What is he doing? He's at the door of our church. He's trying to get our attention, the church. He's knocking, will you let me in? Will you recognize to either be hot or cold, to not be stuck in the middle, but to open the door? All it takes is one person to open the door and revival can break out. All it takes is one, because one can spark for the Lord to be the center of our lives, to not be going through the day-to-day routine and to not be on fire for the Lord. Verse 21 says, the one who conquers, I will grant him sit with me on my throne as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And may we all hear. It's easier not to care. It's easier to stay in our own bubble.
But it's so much better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. This time of year is a natural transition. We're going from summer to fall, praise the Lord. (laughs) Fall will soon be here. The leaves will soon be turning. Football season will start. Students will be coming from all over the United States and even in different parts of the world to come to college here. A lot of our kids will be back in school, thank goodness. It's a natural transition time for the year and can be for our church. And so what I believe that the Lord wanted to speak to us through this, this word today is anytime you're at a transition point, it's a good time to reevaluate. How's your life look? A good question to ask ourselves, are we indifferent or not, is when's the last time I did something that required faith? If you want to push past endurance, if you want to uh, see a lot, it's, it's a lot easier for the don't take this the wrong way. This just happens. This is just, in general, passion comes from youth, correct? Wisdom, understanding, leadership often time comes from the, the older people. But the passion usually comes from youth. But we all have got to get to the point where we have passion for the Lord, where we are passionate for the things of the Holy Spirit, where we want to see the Holy Spirit move in a powerful way, where we're not satisfied with the status quo, We're not satisfied with just another Sunday. We're not satisfied with just another Wednesday where we uh, make time in our life to be dedicated to coming to an hour of prayer on a Sunday night or to making those times in in our home where we shut off everything else and we say, you know what? No, no, no. Eternity matters. The things of, uh, the eternal things of God is what matters. It's putting myself in a position to say, I may be an introvert. I may be embarrassed easily. But I want to do something that requires faith. And for each of us, something that requires faith is different for each and every one of us. But if you start doing things that require faith, I promise you, you're going to be on the hot side of this. You're going to get out of the place of being stuck into the place of moving into the things of God. To moving into the gifts and the power and the calling of the Holy Spirit is placed inside of each of us. Because as a church, God has each given us gifts to operate in. And there's a loss. The, the mission is not over. There's a lost and dying world out there, and we have the hope inside of us. And so my challenge to you today is not to feel, hopefully you don't feel beaten down, like, oh man, why'd I come to church today? I wanted somebody to talk about love and grace and mercy. (laughs) It's not that. But this is a perfect time to look introspectively at ourselves and say, Lord, am I hot? Or am I lukewarm? Or am I cold? If you're lukewarm or cold, it's time to it's time to start moving. It's time to it's time to get back. We talked about last week. The church had a, the, the church of Ephesus had abandoned the love they had at first. It's time that we we want to see we want to see these these chairs filled up. There's a I can tell you one thing. This neighborhood behind us needs Jesus. We don't have to go very far. It's not like we have to we don't have to go to El Salvador to reach people for the Lord. We can go right back here. But it takes willing vessels. It takes getting out of our comfort zone. It takes being the light and the love of Jesus. And we can be those things. Amen. So uh, for the end of service here, uh, we're going to take just a couple of minutes. Uh, you guys can stand with me. Uh, the kids' church can go ahead and come in. Uh, one thing I want to do at the very end before 
know, before we end and people leave, is I want to pray over all the teachers, all the students, everybody that works with students. We want to pray for this school year. And I believe that with this message, is also a message uh, to break out revival in our schools. That's one of the biggest mission fields you'll ever step foot on is our, our, our public schools. And even if you're a homeschool or a homeschool teacher or whatever, like we believe that the Lord wants to do something great in, in this city. Do we not? If we don't believe that, if we're not asking for that, like the message earlier, if we're not asking for big things, those things will never happen. But I believe if we're active in praying and seeking the Lord after these things, we will see things in Tuscaloosa. We will see the University of Alabama turned upside down. We'll see our schools turned upside down. We'll see these students right here in our services on fire for the Lord, standing up against a culture that is counter to the gospel. But they're going to set the tone because they're going to be the leaders in their schools and our teachers are going to be the leaders in their classrooms. And they're going to lead the students who have no hope outside of, of their teacher. But their teacher has the hope and the light inside of them. And we're going to believe that the Lord is going to make a difference in their, in their lives as well. Amen. So first thing I want to do is give you an opportunity. I told you I would. We're going to take about five, ten minutes here in worship. If you're far from the Lord or if you've never completely surrendered to the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you don't wait another day. We're not promised tomorrow. But today you can get your life right with the Lord. If you want to pray, I'm going to be down here. Some of our leaders will be down here. Or if you just want to agree together that we as a church can step out in faith more, we want to pray for those things as well. Or, you know, as always, if you just have a need outside of anything that I've said that you want prayer for, you're welcome to come down here as well. But let's worship for the next few minutes. Let's make this altar an altar of prayer. And then uh, we're going to also pray for our uh, students and teachers. Stanley. 